Good morning. This morning's sermon is based, it comes from the book of Philippians. This letter, Paul, the disciple of our Lord, wrote to the church at Philippi, which was located in the Macedonia, which we know today as Greece. It was a prosperous town. Uh, they were known for their gold mining. Things were going well for the city. Things were going well for the church. The church was growing in number, growing in their faithfulness, growing in their ministry. However, like other churches, there are also uh, problems arising from faith, uh, faithlessness and seeking uh, different thoughts on religion uh, from within the church, false doctrine, and from without. Now, Paul had gone to this area, Philippi, and he had founded a church in, in Philippi. And it was probably this very same church. Unless they were Presbyterians, then it would have been the first Presbyterian church, the second Presbyterian church. But we believe it was this church. So these people at uh, this church at Philippi had a great devotion and love for their leader. Um, unfortunately for Paul at this time, he was in prison. Uh, we believe he was in uh, or around the city of Rome. He had been arrested, charged, and found guilty. Uh, back in Judea, and as a Roman citizen, he claimed his right to appeal through Caesar. So he was in Rome um, under arrest. His arrest ranged from being under house arrest, where he could accept visitors uh, and donations from others, to periods of time where he was in a cell, damp, dark, cold, lonely. He was probably uh, in a house arrest at this time, because we learned that his brothers and sisters at uh, the church in Philippi had sent people there. They even sent their own pastor there to uh, bring supplies, to bring needs, to help Paul get through this difficult time. Uh, they brought good news for the church, what was going on, and they also brought their concerns. And in his letter to Philippi, after uh, these people left, he addressed uh, some of those concerns, commended them for what they were doing right, and warned them about this false uh, religion that they were being tempted or lured into, uh, much like Jesus did in the book of Revelation, where he commends the churches and he also rebukes them for their wrongdoing. So that sets the stage for this Bible lesson this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at the very end of this epistle, this letter. It only has four chapters. This is at the end. This is um, Paul's basically uh, parting thoughts. His, his prayer is concerns for the church at Philippi. So before we get into the word, let us come before the Lord and, and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time of gleaning more knowledge and more information about who you are and your love for us. Be with us this morning, dear Lord, as we read from your servant Paul's letter to the Philippians. Your word is valid then as it is today. 
uh, for the church in Philippi then and for us today. So let us grow in our faith. Let's grow in our understanding. Let's grow in our obedience to your word. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Okay, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 4 through 9. If you'd like to read along with me in your bulletin or in your Bible, obviously feel free to do so. Here is Paul's final exhortations in this letter to the church of Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say, and again rejoice. Let not your gentleness be evident to all. Let, I'm sorry, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. We start off here in verse 4 with Paul's admonition to rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. He is an exhortation to the believers. He helps them deal with the troubles that are confronting them at that day and as the same problems exist today. Of hostilities from the outside of the church, uh, enemies from outside, non-believers, accusing the church, perhaps as today, of being intolerant, being selfish, being uh, bigoted. Uh, a false doctrine that might be arising in the church, to be on guard from that. Now, always rely on the teachings of the Lord. If helping them overcome times of grief and times of impatience, times of worry. They're helping them recognize that even if the world around them is falling apart, seems to be in such a chaotic state that it doesn't tempt them to despair. We certainly, if anyone watches the news these days, that is a challenge in itself. But here, Paul calls on us to focus on God. He consoles us. He strengthens us. Paul himself is an example in this case of how to respond. Again, as we discussed, he was in prison. He was dependent upon the support from outsiders from fellow believers. He was in exile away from his family, the rest of the disciples, all of his friends that were in Judea. He was under the threat of execution. And Paul is not just merely joyful within himself, but he is also joyful. He stores up joy in those he's writing to and those who are visiting him and his letters to the various churches that he writes to. Come what may, believers have the Lord standing by their side. In verse 4, Paul even re repeats the admonition. I say again, rejoice. Stresses the importance of this 
This is a child running toward the street. You just don't say, hey, stop. No, you yell out, stop, stop. This is very important. It has great significance. It's often hard to do. The Lord is the source of our strength, our stability. A joy is found, our joy is found only in Christ, not in things of this world that are fading, that are deceptive, that are frail and weak. Our joy in God can never be taken away from us. And we can experience this joy in many different places, in our prayer life, with the ones we love, the ones we encounter, but where else do we experience it more than here? Where we meet in God's presence and we celebrate and we worship who He is. And I'll be honest with you, that's our primary focus of being here this morning, but many times in worship I feel selfish because I feel myself becoming infused with the Holy Spirit, giving me a sense of peace, giving me a sense of refreshment, giving me encouragement to go back into the world and see what's going on. So I would ask you, you know, where would you rather be today, this very moment, right now? Would there be some other place you'd rather go? Would you rather be down at the Sealer game, tailgating? Would you rather be walking on a nice sandy beach? The sun's shining, you're in your shorts, barefoot, warm sand between your toes, walking in the surf. That would give you some momentary joy, no doubt. But the joy we find in the Lord can only come from looking and feeling his presence around us. Where else other than here can we receive such joy, such peace? We continue in verse 5, where Paul says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness can be moderation, but basically evenness of mind, balance, not prone to wild swings of temperament, not easily distraught by adversity. And in part, this is evident Evidence of our witness to others, because it says this gentleness should be evidence to all to see us. We should be different. There should be something different about us. The Lord is near, both in helping us and overcoming those against the gospel and the outside of the world here, and also helping sustain us in our times of trouble. Sometimes we forget that the Lord truly does love and care for us. Sometimes we become disheartened. We've seen several members of the church in years past, and I'm going back years, who were, we felt, true believers, but they left the church. They didn't just leave Bethel and go to another. They just left. They quit going. What could they be thinking? Sometimes we become confused. We get involved in sin, or we get involved in, yeah, I can skip coming to church. I can, you know, cut back on my prayer life. I can do this or that. We can do things that we're called not to do. Adam and Eve come to mind. Sometimes we're impatient. We become angry with God. How can this happen to me? What's taking you so long to answer my prayers? 
But if we have faith in God's providential care, that God is there, God knows what He's doing, God permits what He permits, that we can rest in His security and peace. The Lord is near. Otherwise said, the Lord is at hand. It has two applications in Scripture. One of God's judgment that is at hand, which isn't the part that we're referring to here, but the second is, God is prepared to help those who believe and worship and serve Him and sustain His people. In Psalms, Psalm 145, verse 18, The Lord is near to all that call upon Him, His servant David wrote. Anxiety proceeds from distrust or lack of faith in God's divine power and help. And that leads us to verse number 6. Anxiety and prayer are two great opposing forces. In verse 6 we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what are we called to do here in verse 6? Do not be anxious about anything. Now, anxious here doesn't refer to our sorrows or normal cares, you know, about our loved ones, about, you know, things that might befall us. That's normal. That's part of our human humanness. What it's referring to is to extreme uneasiness of mind, doubting God, feeling completely and totally hopeless or lost. And we're not supposed to be anxious in anything. In anything. When? It says in every situation and in all things. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. We are not made of steel. Though some of us may, may think that sometimes. We are weak. We are frail creatures. But if we bring all our burdens to the Lord, He will see us through. How? And from this, by prayer, offering up our concerns, our worries, our cares, by our petitions or requests, you know, what we desire, what we wish to happen in our life, in our church, with our loved ones, and with thanksgiving, our worship and prayer in our I'm sorry, our worship and praise in our prayer. Not complaints. Not accusing God of taking too long and not hearing what we're saying. Thanksgiving joins prayers and requests with expressing our gratitude for who God is and what He has provided for us. Paul then moves from rejoicing in the Lord and prayers to finding peace in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, also the peace of Christ. We celebrate that every Sunday. We stand and turn around to fellow brothers and sisters and say, I got the peace of God. How about you, brother? How about you, sister? Isn't that great? We're not alone. God is with us. And that transcends all understanding. And we share that every Sunday. Sometimes we do it too repetitive and we lose the full meaning. 
but that's what's there. We share that with one another. We have that in common. And that peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. Here it's referring to our our spiritual being, our souls, our spirit. Hearts and minds. You know, we think of brain and heart and two, you know, an organ and a brain. It does have a similarity to that, in that both the brain and the heart, you know, are interrelated. One can't function without the other. You know, if the brain doesn't have the blood, I mean, if the brain doesn't have the heart pumping blood to it, the brain's going to die. If the heart doesn't have the brain sending that involuntary reflex and belly response to it that we don't even know is going on. If that brain doesn't send that signal, the heart stops. Same with our spiritual mind and our heart. With our mind, we have understanding. We have knowledge of the Lord. We have how do we apply that? How do we put that knowledge into practice in our life? With our heart, it's what we value, what we desire, what we hold precious, what our inclinations are, what our emotions are, our love. And this peace guards our minds and hearts. It guards our minds from wrong and wicked thoughts. It guards our hearts from wrong and wicked desires, fears, despair, feelings of hopelessness. This peace that we find in Christ does not bend itself with the various shiftings of the times or the, the world around us. This peace is found in the firm, unchangeable Word of God and His assurances. This peace transcends all human understanding. It's found in no other place. It can't be bought. It can't be dug up out of the ground. It can't be read in a book unless the book is the Holy Word of God. This piece is from the grace of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, we continue with, And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's look at these adjectives here. Whatever is true. And we think, what is truth? We're talking about God's truth. That's where the real truth is. Not what the world tells us is true. What is noble? What is good? What is honorable? What is right? What is just? What is fair? What is pure? Holy, uncorrupted, lovely, beautiful, wondrous. And what is admirable and praiseworthy? What is excellent? What is worthy of praise? These two are all attributes or adjectives that we use to describe God as found in Scripture. So, we're called to think about these things. God's thoughts or inversely, our thoughts should be God's thoughts. We should dwell on these ideas. Don't dwell on negative, misleading thoughts. Dwell on the Word. Don't dwell on what the world tells us to believe in. We go back in the same book here in Philippians, and Paul's writing here to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Speaking of those who oppose the cross, their minds are set on earthly things, not the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, with quarrels within the church. Be of the same mind and in the Lord. Have the mind of the Lord, not that we can, but that's what we strive for. 
You probably often heard where your thoughts are, that's where your actions will be. If your mind's in the gutter, that's the direction you're going. And lastly here, in the verse 9, Paul writes, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the Lord, God of peace, will be with you. Whatever you have learned, whatever you have received, whatever you have heard, holy instruction. And here, from Paul, for us it's the entire holy word of God, the Bible. And in Paul's case, what you have seen. Paul here is practicing, you know, his love for the Lord and his love for his fellow brothers by not focusing on himself, but reaching out and worried about the concerns of his fellow brothers and sisters and churches throughout the Mediterranean area. They're called to put it into practice. Put God's teaching into action. And Paul's doing all this from prison. And he concludes, and I will conclude as well with the last part of that, and the God of peace will be with you. My brothers and sisters, this is what we receive when we rejoice in the Lord. Praise be to the Lord.